Happy New Year, film fans, and welcome into another episode of the Second Day Film Podcast, the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. It is January 4th, 2020. The new year is upon us. We have survived another year into a new decade. I'm your host, Brandon Champion, alongside Mike Nichols, my co-host. And Mike, did you have a, a really exciting, fun New Year's Eve? I did. I went out with my friends to a bar, had champagne. It was very traditional and fun. How about you? Uh, You can't complain. Went over to a friend's house, played this weird game where you like throw stuffed burritos at each other, Uh, had some chicken and waffles. It was an all-around fantastic time. They got a new little puppy, so I played with him a little bit. Uh, But it's 2020. Can you believe it? We're here. In 2020. A new decade. A new decade of movies for us to review. Meteors have not become crash into us yet. Well, who knows? World (laughs) War III is currently trending on Twitter, so... Really? I must yeah. have missed that. Mm-hmm. Anyways, must have been distracting myself with things like movies and uh, sports and various stuff that doesn't really matter, which is what we like to do here at the Second Day Film Podcast. We talk about movies. That's right. And of course, we're going to talk about movies today and one of the biggest releases in quite some time. Uh, it is Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. So uh, may the force be with us as we venture into that uh, cesspool of destructiveness, uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about a couple other things before we get there, but first, we would love it if you'd connect with us on Facebook. It's the Second Day Film Podcast. We've gotten a steady stream of new followers, and we appreciate you. We appreciate your likes. We appreciate you saying nice things about us, even if it's a lie. Please, don't be too harsh on Mike. He's I, learning. I send Champ funny memes occasionally to post, so if you guys like the memes you've seen lately... The memes can... are, are quite a hit, actually. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Yes. You're uh, welcome, everyone. Sometime, Love you guys. Sometimes I suck at posting them, but uh, yeah, that's on the, the Facebook page, Second Day Film Podcast. We're also on Twitter at Second Day Film, Instagram at the Second Day Film Podcast. Our old episodes can be found on Apple Podcasts uh, and um, SoundCloud. And iTunes. Is iTunes still a thing? I know Apple was talking about getting yeah. rid of iTunes I have a little iTunes. while back there. So, um, And I'm still working to get on Stitcher, Spotify. We need to get on some more more different various mediums for <laughs> the podcast. I've been slacking lately. I was going to say, of course iTunes is a thing. What do you think I use to use my iPod Shuffle? <laughs> oh, yeah. The big bulky one, right? That carries... You can have 400 songs on this oh thing! Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we appreciate you listening here today. Alright, so we'll get to Star Wars in a second here, but first, a message from Ford. Verse Ferrari? <laughs> yeah. Are you sick of driving that boring, fancy Ferrari? Yeah. <laughs> I hate my Ferrari. <laughs> yeah. I think I should get something that's, I don't know, named after a president. Yeah, the new, Ford, the new Ford Taurus has four wheels, windshield wipers. Okay. okay. Anyways, really, mm-hmm. it's a new movie that came out a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. It's called Ford vs. Ferrari. Uh, I saw it a couple weeks ago. I liked it quite a bit. The plot summer in IMDb. Oh, it's a long one. American car designer Carol Shelby and driver Ken Miles battle corporate interference, the laws of physics, and their own personal demons to build a revolutionary race car for Ford and challenge Ferrari at the 24 Hours of Le Mans in 1966. This film is directed by James Mangold, stars Matt Damon as Carol Shelby and Christian Bale as Ken Miles, John Bernthal... Josh Lucas, Noah Jupe, Tracy Letts, among others, star in this film. And uh, like I said, Mike, this is a movie that's getting some positive buzz, positive mm-hmm. reaction. Christian sure. Bale nominated by Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture Drama at the Golden Globes. I think that's well-deserved. 
So I, I was initially introduced to this story of this sort of war in the 60s between Ford and Ferrari. Um, I watched a show called Grand Tour on Amazon Prime. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but it's it's kind of like car guys who... It's a fantastic show in its own right. They, they do car reviews. They do fun, cool car segments. And for some reason, one of the episodes, one of the guys did a sort, sort of short like documentary segment about this battle that Ford and Ferrari had in the 1960s. 24 Hours of Le Mans, for people who don't know, is one of the most famous, prestigious races in the world. Uh, they race for 24 hours straight through the night. Still a thing in existence. Pretty crazy for these guys to do this. Um, so, I'm not really a motorhead, which you would per se. I'm not really someone who's into stock cars or cars yeah. in general or even racing at all. Not me either. Yeah. And um, so I was kind of like, am I really going to like this movie? You know, Is it something that's going to sit with me? And I think it it shocked me in how much I actually liked it and how much I actually got into racing and this thing that I didn't think I had any interest in. You know, I think the best sports movies are movies that aren't really about sports. They're more about the people who are participating in the mm -hmm, sports definitely. or the, the stories, the, the, the themes, the concepts that are going on around <clears throat> the sporting event where sports is more just like the backdrop. Yeah. And then, you know... But what we really care about is the character drama, stuff like yeah. that. And this movie does a good job of that. It does a good job of expanding it and making this movie about more than just racing. And, you know, and I think it's it's a fact-based story, obviously. So that's nice. It follows pretty close to history from what I can tell. Obviously, they took some creative license with things. But I like that this movie wasn't, you know, what, something we've talked about before, uh, Disney-fied. You know, yeah. we talked about that with Remember the Titans, Miracle, which are movies that we love and they're great. But those movies almost have moments where it's it's literally meant to manipulate the audience. Right. It's, it's, it's they have these uplifting moments that give you the goosebumps and, and make the hair on your arms raise. And, and we like that about those movies. But because of that, it almost makes it feel it really makes you aware that you're watching a movie. Right. It doesn't feel as much like a. Um, like a fact-based drama. And this film sort of happens more naturally than those movies. It shows the the flaws that people have and how everything didn't go right and how Ford was almost cannibalizing itself as it was trying in this pursuit to beat Ferrari. So um, I liked this movie on that level. I felt like it did a great job transcending sports and making it feel like a real and interesting story. So... Do you want to see Ford vs. Ferrari? Are you interested in this movie? Yeah, I mean, I love the cast. Christian Bale's one of my favorite actors ever, as is Matt Damon. Um, I really like what you said about how the fact that even though you and I aren't really guys who are into cars, mm -hmm. uh, this is still a movie that's enjoyable and relatable. Um, I'm really curious as to, you know, where this movie fits into other kind of big pieces that have been done about this era, like something like Mad Men or... Um, you know, how did, like, what did it make you kind of realize about the 60s and about the way American innovation was changing in that historical time period? Well, I haven't seen Mad Men, so I know. Big, big fail. Big fail okay, on my part. Mind. But, uh, but it, no, but I mean, I know what you're trying to say is that, you know, <clears throat> it captures the time period well. This movie's really based in, I mean, it's based on the racetrack. It's based on the testing grounds. It's based in the factories. It's based in corporate offices. So we don't really get to see a ton of life outside of the 60s it, mm -hmm. it really is a focused movie about this battle but it, it, it's the character drama i think that really is where this movie 
does a really great job. Damon and ba- Bale are both great. I like Tracy Lutz as uh, Henry Ford II. Uh, I think he does a great job in this. Obviously, here in Michigan, we have a, a close tie to Ford. It's, sure. You know, we see Detroit in this film. Yep. Um, it's an essential part of Michigan and, and really the world. I mean, yeah. they, you know, it's, it's kind of our MO, our identity. So um, I actually have another question. I've heard about this movie, particularly because of a fight that occurs in this movie. Apparently, yeah. one of the most realistic slash funniest fights that people have ever said they've seen is in this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's basically uh, um, Christian Bale's coming back from the <laughs> the grocery store, and he's carrying groceries, and then Matt Damon's character confronts him, and they end up getting into sort of like a fight where they're just tackling each other and punching each other, and they're like hitting each other with bread and groceries. <laughs> it is quite comical. Although, I will say the relationship between Matt Damon and Christian Bale is one of the... It's not weak. Like, you, the performances are great, and it's great to see them go back and forth with each other. Mm-hmm. But, so, I'm a little bit confused in this movie. I don't think it does a great job sort of establishing, like, what kind of relationship these guys have. Yeah. Because we don't get to see that, like, when, when they first come on screen, they already know each other. Right. They're clearly associated in some way. They clearly have a history with each other. But I feel like the movie goes back and forth at times, like, um, relating between... Are they really close friends? Are they more like acquaintances who have been friends in the past? Are they... Like, what is... Sorry about that. What is their relationship and what is their dynamics? Because at times it feels like they're, like, besties who kind of see things in the same way. And then other times they're at odds with each other. And after this fight, they actually lay down in the grass and they're like, Ugh, it's been a while since that happened. Like, two years. So we're kind of supposed to get the idea that, like... This is just old hat for these guys. They right. get in these fights before, mm-hmm. and then they're just they're back to working together. But sometimes the relationship doesn't feel fully fleshed out. I think is is honestly one of the weak points of this movie. Also, Josh Lucas plays the Ford vice president, who's a real person, but he's like a comical bad guy. Like he's your mm-hmm. your your cliche, you know, corporate shady suit who's just against everything that the guys on the ground are doing, and. I have to think this guy was a little bit more nuanced and multifaceted than he was in this film. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he really was a stick-in-the-mud trash person. But he's in the higher rankings of Ford, like in senior management. I have to imagine this guy brought something to the table. And this movie sort of just portrays him as just like the foil, the guy who has to create obstacles for Matt Damon and Christian Bale. I just felt like he felt a little bit too uh, cardboard cutout of a bad guy. But I guess that kind of happens when you have characters who are playing suits. You know, there's only so many ways to play a corporate bad guy villain. Other things I loved about this movie, I think the driving scenes are fantastic. The racing sequences. And that's why the motorheads are still going to love this movie because the racing is awesome. The way it's shot and filmed really puts you in the car with Christian Bale from his point of view. You can really see the race develop you really get a feel for what these guys are looking at you can sort of feel the heat of the car and the track you can smell the exhaust you like want to reach out and wipe away the sweat and grime from his face because oh, it, you feel really in the race and it's really it's almost like you're riding one of those uh, virtual reality rides at universal studios that's, that's a good director right there yeah that's that's all directing right and james mangold uh, i mean he's done a lot of good stuff i think he did the logan movie Mm-hmm. Uh, that I like a lot. He's got some other stuff. I'm not looking at his filmography right now, but 
Um, yeah, I mean, that's directing. That's no, that's the cinematography team knowing how to really put you in the shoes of the race car and really make you feel what these guys go through when they're in 24-hour Le Mans. Um, so uh, I really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was uh, well done, entertaining uh, sort of sports flick that, like I said, hat really sort of transcends the sports genre a little bit and makes you feel what these guys are feeling. Um, not perfect, but it's a really enjoyable watch that I think most people watch. I gave it an 8 out of 10. All right, moving on to what I believe is the first foreign language film we've ever reviewed here on the Second Day Film Podcast. Um, it is a fantastic movie that was getting a ton of buzz um, all throughout the film uh, festival cycles, and now, especially since it's come out in theaters in the United States in November, it's a movie called Parasite. Uh, it's a Korean film directed by Bon Joon-ho um, and stars a very talented cast of Korean uh, actors and actresses. I'm not going to um, attempt to say their names out of respect for those talented actors and actresses. <laughs> yeah. um, but the plot summary on IMDb, all unemployed, Ki Tak and his family take peculiar interest in the wealthy and glamorous parks as they integrate themselves into their lives and get entangled in an unexpected incident. Uh, as I said, this film is directed by Bong Joon-ho, um, who also directed one of my favorite films um, that has come out in the last decade. It's called Snowpiercer, which I think is a movie that both of us talked about before. Mike's shaking his head. You yeah, like that one, too? It's a, it's a great movie. It's one of those little underrated flicks that just came out of nowhere. Right. Uh, it's really fun. Right, and that's actually an English language. Or mm -hmm. I think it's... I think they speak Korean and English in the movie, and there's Korean actors and English actors, but that's, uh, that's Captain America's in the movie, actually. Yeah. Uh, so see, search that one out if you're not into the whole foreign language thing. Um, it's really well worth it. It's a post-apocalyptic film where the rest of humanity is all on a train, so mm -hmm. that's kind of what the idea that this works off of. Um, at the Golden Globes, Bong Joon-ho directed for Best Director, um, or nominated for Best Director, Best Screenplay. He also wrote this film. And this was also nominated for Best Motion Picture Foreign Language. And let's add that the first song of the closing credits is written and it's written by him and wow. sung by the lead actor. Oh, where'd you pick up that little nugget? The internet's a great place, isn't IMDb. it? IMDb. Yeah. Well, IMDb is a great place too. Anyways, <laughs> so this is a Korean film. It's in Korean, has subtitles when you watch it in the theater, um, which takes some getting used to. I will admit, when you're in the theater and you're watching it and you're realizing you have to train your brain to read and watch at the same time. It comes eventually. I usually watch movies with subtitles on anyways, but I'm a film nerd, so of course I do that. Um, but yeah, really high expectations for the director because I love Snowpiercer so much and I was hearing so much about this movie. Um, fantastic twists and turns in this film, Mike. So oh. which way do you want to turn first? Oh, man. This movie just... We should also say we're probably going to have to spoil this movie to talk about it. So if you haven't yeah. seen it... Go watch it and come back and listen yeah, to it. Yeah, honestly, yeah. if you have not seen this movie, do yourself a favor, go watch it. This is one of those must-not-miss movies of 2019. I definitely think it's maybe the best picture of the year in any category, foreign film, like, you know, regular best film, whatever. Like, this is the movie I will be thinking about for a long time. Um, if you haven't seen it, don't let us spoil it for you. Please just stop listening now and go see it, and then come back, because you'll want it. To, the second this movie's done... You need people to talk to you about it. Like, I texted right. you, like, as I was walking out of the movie theater, like, dude, you were so right. I can't believe, like, that just happened. This movie... People, like, staggered out of our movie theater. with so just emotionally overcome by the plot twist, the, the ending, the the emotional, like, roller coasters and journey right. you go through watching this. I'll, I'll say that. Like, it's a... 
it's an emotional movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Fantastic twists and turns, as I said. There's really no way to expect where this film is going when you start watching it. It's I, I called it a layered, wild ride. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of a mesmerizing film that just sort of unfolds mm-hmm. before your eyes, and before you know it, you're sort of balls deep in this story and what this family is trying to accomplish it. <laughs> Balls deep in the family, Mike. Balls deep in the family. He's like, you just ruined the whole podcast. (laughs) But by the end of this, you realize that the story is never stagnant, right? It's constantly changing and evolving and adapting. Kind of like parasites themselves. Whoa. It's an observing, fantastic, absorbing, fantastic journey that we go on with this family. Because the status quo is always changing in this movie, right? It's always dynamic. You never have a chance to be like, oh, now we're stuck at this point in the movie. It's like... Because as they're being brought into this family, they're, we should explain, well, you've seen the movie if you're watching it, hopefully, but the, the infiltrating family, they all act like they're not in the same family to get mm-hmm. jobs with this wealthy family. And it sort of unfolds before our eyes as it happens, but I love how dynamic this movie is. Yeah. Uh, I will also add to it, too, if you're someone who maybe you think that you won't be able to pick up on things because you're not speaking the language and because you have to read subtitles... I can assure you, like, you can still, like, hear the nuance in the way the lines are being said and the tone. And, and just the, the look on their faces. Yeah, you, you the, like, the actors do such a great job. And really, the script does a good job and the situations they're in. Does, it does an amazing job of communicating so much stuff that will transcend, like, the language barrier you might be feeling going into this movie. Um, I, yeah, please, please go see this movie and then talk to us about it because we need people to talk to you. Man, the... The movie does start off kind of like it feels like it's a little comedy. Mm-hmm. Like it's this fun like little movie about this family scheming their way into a rich family. There's some interesting, you know, um, uh, you know, things to be said there on rich and poor, social classes. Yeah, social classes the movie like it's already kind of in your head. Okay, like I kind of see where this movie's going. And then the movie just takes a turn which like when it happened, when, when the first real big turn of that movie happens, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's revealed, this huge, and if, spoilers now, here we go, let's get into it, the, the underground house mm-hmm. of this like guy living in the basement and them having kept the him former housekeeper who gets fired's husband is living under this house. Dude, my jaw just like dropped for like five minutes watching the movie at that point on because I was like, what is happening? What is going on? And it, and it's not in the way where like, you know, some movies suddenly throw in these twists that are kind of like out of nowhere and, and they're almost like so random that it almost feels abstract like it doesn't belong in the movie. Mm-hmm. The way this movie transitions with plot twists and the way it takes you into, oh, this feels like a fun little, like, satirical comedy about, you know, rich and poor people. And then the turn takes you somewhere really dark. It actually goes deeper into that, mm-hmm. like, n- narrative about the rich and the poor. And it, it it just, the twists come out of nowhere, but they're also built in at the same time. And it works. This, oh, wow. The movie really ramps up about halfway through. I love how the camera, oh, yeah. when we first see this hidden space downstairs, the camera just sort of follows the family yeah. through the winding corridors. Mm-hmm. And you're just, as you're watching it, you're like, wait, what, where the hell are they going? What are they going to find? What is yeah. going on here? What is this movie about to do? Um, yeah, it really picks up there in the second half um, and really becomes sort of just, it absorbs you. It takes you in. You're watching it, and it's just crazy to watch. Um, I love that this, the house itself is almost like a character. Yeah. Because definitely. as we move around this house, we sort of get a feel for 
the layout of the house and how characters are interacting with each other on different levels of this house and how when they're on different levels or in different rooms, it changes the perspective about what's going on. Um, we sort of touched on the, the social class stuff, uh, the massive separation of wealth between these two families where one is just trying to get by and the other one has everything they would ever need. I love how that idea of social class is sort of symbolized by the large windows mm-hmm. in both the Kim's house their small semi-basement that ends up flooded, uh, which when they're looking out, they're looking at trash, a drunken man peeing on their window. The first shot of the film is an exterminator blasting them with extermination. And they're like, we'll get a free extermination if we leave the window open. And they're just choking on their own vomit. And then you look at the Parks house where they have this beautiful window that looks out onto this yard, Mm -hmm. this beautiful sunset when the rain's coming down. It's just like this peaceful, perfectly groomed yard radiant sunshine pleasant rain so i think i love how there's that sort of contrast between the two existences that these two families live in yeah it's very and then then the way it goes into um you know the the tension and the building of that tension and oh is this person gonna kill this person is this gonna yeah they're gonna see this this can be discovered like it has a very hitchcock feel to it i definitely think um he threw a couple Hitchcock nods in there with windows in particular, the way, um, you know, it Rear shoots window. through the window. Yeah, yeah. There's staircases. There's like, there's a lot of, there's a couple of vertigo references, I think. And I think I read even somewhere that you can see like a Hitchcock movie on one of the shelves in the house or something. So he did. It makes sense. It yeah. does feel Hitchcockian at times. Um, the scene, I, I was going to tell you this earlier, but the one scene I can't get out of my head that's still there. Well, there's actually two scenes like that. One is when, the maid, the original housekeeper, who they get fired so they can sneak in, when she kind of is trying to escape, when she realizes the family's coming home, and she's going to try to, like, escape from the bunker to try to warn them and, like, tell them what's going on and get rescued, and she, her hands are still tied up behind her back, and she's running up the stairs with her hands tied behind her back, screaming, Madam, Madam, like, begging for help. Like, oh, man, I just felt so much for her in that moment. I'm like, oh, because you... You don't want her to succeed in spoiling the truth, but at the same time, you kind of know she's in a terrible trap position now, this poor woman, and, like, this family did kind of come in and, like, wreck her life. It's crazy how her opinions of the, um, of the, the the poor family, the Kims, it changes throughout the movie. Oh, yeah. We're, like, totally on their side at the beginning. We're like, okay, well, I could see this. They're trying to get money. Yeah, what they're doing is kind of a bad thing, but it's kind of harmless. These people have enough money. What does it matter? And then by the end, we're like, screw these people. They're the worst. Like, they're terrible. Like, I don't even care that they're sleeping in a gym. I'm glad their apartment got flooded. Well, I don't know if I feel that, but... (laughs) Mike doesn't hate him as much as me. (laughs) No, but, like, you do realize, though, like, morality doesn't exist based on your your status. It's based on your choices and who the person you're going to be. And, uh... Yeah, when um, the other the other scene is the ghost, you start you start. So this is what's great about we talked about the layers. Oh, that was creepy movie. when they filmed. Yeah, it. it's when, not a ghost, of course. Yeah, but. you this little story that you've heard. Oh, the kid thinks he sees a ghost in the house. Oh, right. Yeah, sure. Okay. But then once the reveal is made that there's been this guy living in this bunker underneath the house, and because then, that kind of comes then, out of nowhere. The yeah. original mention of the ghost comes out of nowhere. So yeah. you're like, what is this? What is that? Yeah, and, and then you realize it's paid. Oh off. my word. 
and and the shot of the kid just staring into the darkness it's and creepy. seeing those eyes yeah. come up at him because the guy's got like the... big beady oh, eyes. Oh man, yeah. that scene still haunts me. That's a, a great shot scene. The the lighting in this movie is terrific. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely. Spe- I think it's, it feels very natural. I don't know if you did all natural lighting for it, but it feels it. Right. The house yeah. is kind of built to where they can get some natural light. I think. I think I saw that mm-hmm. mentioned or re- I read that somewhere. This idea that this scholar's rock that is sort of the thing that his rich friend who he's replacing gives to him in the beginning, Mm -hmm. it's supposed to bring them wealth and good fortune. And I love the the, uh, duality and how it ends up that... That rock, he that's what he uses to try and kill the guy, and it, it right. set, ends up with the guy ends up using to put like him kill, in the hospital. Almost, yeah, almost kill him. And yeah. I, so I love that the thing that was supposed to bring him wealth ends up bringing him nothing but suffering. It's sort of what gets yeah. them into this whole thing. There's just so much of stuff like that in this movie where it's like cause and effect. One thing it happens and it leads to another. It changes the plot. It drives the plot. This is like a master course on how you write a film and make it unfold naturally and logically before our eyes. You know, I think that's, we'll talk about Star Wars in a bit, but that's something that maybe doesn't occur <laughs> yeah. in something like that movie. But this movie just happened so fluidly, and I just love it. It was just a fantastic uh, movie to watch. It was such a pleasant viewing experience. It's two hours and 12 minutes long, but it felt like an hour to me because the movie was just so fun to watch. The movie feels very genuine. And it's because of what you said. The characters make choices, and then logical outcomes happen because of that. Right. And the characters stick to who they are as characters and keep just acting in the logical outcome of choices. Right. And it's amazing how many large, like scale, epic, you know, franchise movies like just don't understand. It's like this character wouldn't make that choice. That makes no sense. But it pursued, well, then we get to this plot, and then we can have this next battle scene and stuff. It's like, ugh. You, people really don't want that in the movie. They really want characters to make choices that make sense. And that actually does lead to a more entertaining experience than a movie that just forced five battle scenes mm-hmm. at me just because for the spectacle of it. This movie doesn't have any spectacle, and it's one of my favorite movies that I've seen. All year. What, the one slight gripe I guess I would have if I had any, and I love this film a lot, would be it's almost a little bit... I think it does require a little bit of a suspension of belief to think that this rich family could be conned this badly by these people. I mean, things do happen a little bit conveniently sometimes in the way that they're able to pull off these cons, particularly in the first half of the movie where they're like basically manipulating them in any way they want to. I guess part of it is that there's this workaholic rich dad who's never around and then the mom is just this naive, gullible, like, will listen to anything that anyone tells them. So maybe because the, the guy isn't around as much, maybe that happens. And there's two young kids, they're just kind of going the flow. So that would be my slight gripe, that maybe things happen a little bit too conveniently in the first half of the movie. But we got to set this up somehow, so, you know. Let's talk about violence in this movie real quick. How would you say, compared to, like, the way you see, like, a Quentin Tarantino movie mm-hmm. or... You know, the way you see a Marvel movie, like the way violence is portrayed. It's very matter of fact. I thought, yeah, this movie had a unique take on violence compared to the way you see it in most most movies. Now. It, it's very, it's sort of realist, realistic. Yeah. It's it's sort of like, well, this is a nat, like we keep talking about. It's very natural. It's, it weaves naturally into the plot. Um, you know, it, it's violent, but it's, it's, I don't know what it is. It didn't bother me that if that's what you're asking. I, yeah. mean, I, I think that it happened naturally. I think it happened in a way that I expected it to happen. Um, I didn't expect Mr. 
Kim to go stab the guy or, yeah. or anything like that. But uh, oh yeah, the end like definitely at the end like it the, ends with a lot of death. <laughs> yeah, and not like in a gore, not even in a gory way, but in a bloody way, if that makes sense. Like yeah. it's not. Is that designed to impress you with the, oh, that's going to hurt so bad, or, oh, it's more like, oh, no, this person's being harmed, and, oh, this is scary, that they could be harmed, too. Like, yeah. it, the, the violence doesn't feel, there's no explosions of blood, there's no, like, you know, epic choreography, it's just... It's a matter of it's fact. It's someone it trying to happens. kill another person, and they're going to either do it or not, like... So, what do you think, so, I think another theme in this is, is the dad tells the kid, you know, the best plan is no plan at all, yeah. because nothing bad can happen, and that's... Obviously, he created this elaborate plan to infiltrate themselves in this film. Right. So I think that's an interesting idea. But what is also interesting to me is the kid doesn't learn that. We're left with this movie is he forms a plan at the end yeah. to buy the very house so he can free his father who's living in the basement. So he doesn't listen to his father in the end. Yeah. So why did they throw that in there? That was the other thing. I was like, what, what, like is it just to get the ideas flowing? I, I think it's a good character because well that line is very specifically set in a moment of failure too like after they're in the gym yeah when they're in the gym after not only they realize their their plan has really backfired to this horrible violent random thing where now they have these people in the basement they might you know they don't know and they have no home (laughs) then they come back they have no home like they're all dirty like that scene of them going home in the rain is really powerful and then i'm getting the cinematography and the production design and that scene was incredible and when they get home and you know they've they've lost all their things, all their work to scheme. Like, well, they still they still lose things, and it it just shows you, like, and you know if you're rich and listening to this, look, that's what people's lives are like, though. Like, it takes you, like, if you're poor, you almost can never get out of it. Right. Like, and you can't plan for everything. You can't. You can't. You can't plan yeah. for any everything bad that's going to happen. I think that's kind of the idea. You don't of, have enough resources in to a certain plan. sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I think why he says that line though is to show the difference between who this, like, how life has, has in some ways made him. Because it almost sounds like a discouraged comment. Like a comment where someone maybe had a plan, but it didn't work out, and now he's just stuck like this. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, well, maybe don't make a plan. Right. That's that's what I was feeling. Like, he was a discouraged dad at that point in his life when he says a line like that. Right. But I think what's important for the son to see, and, like, for him to kind of take away from that, is I could still like change things mm-hmm. like i think i think the movie's very hopeful in that sense it leaves on a hopeful it ends note. on a hopeful note we actually get to see it occur on screen but then yeah. we realize it's it's just a dream it's an imagination sequence of him buying the house and freeing his father um so do you think that was supposed to be an imagination or do you think it was supposed to be a flash forward or flash something forward. yeah who knows it's kind of left ambiguous it could be both yeah but i guess it's like which do you hope for do you yeah. think like yeah like the next generation will be poisoned by false hope too yeah or is it like if you're asking me if i'd like the kid to see his father again yes i would like to see him to see his father yeah. again i don't know if it's going to happen though considering their current situation yeah but that's just one of the many reasons why this film is great it leaves you on an ambiguous note it makes you it asks questions it examines cool concepts and themes it's well acted it unfolds naturally I gave this a 9 out of 10, which basically I have a 9 out of 9 scale, so I don't give movies 10s as we've discussed before. So I basically gave it my highest grade. Um, yeah, a, pl- a plus for me. Yeah, a it's plus. fantastic. Um, go see Parasite. Don't let the Korean subtitles um, deter you from seeing this powerhouse of a film. All right, Mike, you ready for this? Yep. Yeah.
Let's let's get hated by everyone on the internet. Of course, we are reviewing Star Wars Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. This film is directed by J.J. Abrams. It stars the cast of lovable characters that we've now followed for three films. Uh, Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, Adam Driver, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Oster Isaac, Anthony Daniels, Dom Hall Gleason, Richard E. Grant, Lapita Nyong'o, Carrie Russell, Junis Sotamo. We don't want to forget him. That's Chewie, just in case anyone was wondering who the and, hell that guy is. And spoiler alert, yeah. Harrison Ford. And... Also, spoiler alert, Ian McDermott, who plays Palpatine, who shows up in this movie. Kelly Minnery Tran, also in this, briefly. Uh, we'll talk to you on that. Yeah. But, so, obviously, Star Wars, whenever you're dealing with Star Wars, it's always a topic of conversation. Always highly anticipated. This is one of the most iconic, if not the most iconic, uh, film franchises in American uh, cinema history. Um, which started way back in the 70s, continued with the prequel trilogies, and now we have this, uh, the sequel trilogy. Don't forget the Ewok films. Oh, yes, Ewoks. And the Christmas special. Solo, Rogue One, shoot-offs, we have shows, merchandise, video games. Star Wars is epic. There's no other way to describe it other than epic. Well, okay, there's other ways to describe it other than epic, but it is, whatever you think about it, it is epic. And whenever I go to a Star Wars movie... And that scroll starts, and I hear the music, and we see it. I can't help but get a little bit emotional, Mike. This shit fires me up. Good for you. <laughs> I you don't, don't you don't get excited when you see the scroll when you hear the music. Not anymore. Wow. I have Thanks to for sucking the joy to, out of everything. I have to admit something. You Who guys. is this stick in the mud? Jeez. I really loved the Star Wars movies when I was a kid. Uh, at the time that as I was aware, there was only three Star Wars movies. Uh, and then I saw The Phantom Menace when I was a kid. They had just come out. I loved it because I was young and foolish. Uh, and then Attack of the Clones. You liked kid. Jar Jar, didn't you? <laughs> you I, loved I didn't. Him. I didn't like Jar Jar, but I thought Pod Racing and Darth Maul. And I just I liked I liked what I you know I was like oh this still feels like Star Wars. This could be going places. But then Attack of the Clones came out, and I really just did not care for that movie. And then okay. after that, kind of Star Wars. Went downhill for me. So Revenge Mike hates Star Wars. Okay. Good to know. Revenge of the Sith was okay, but you know, it just it, it was dry, emo like in a lot of ways. Like the acting was clunky, and the plot, like it just. And then they brought the new ones out, and it was like, oh, okay, now we're just Disneyfying it and like redoing the first movie. Okay, these characters are nice and lovable, and they're setting up things. This could go places interesting. And then the Last Jedi is like, no, it's not going to go anywhere because. <laughs> You know, subverting expectations. I was like, okay, fine, like, whatever. And now this one came out, and it then just was like... So... It just did all the stereotypical so things that weren't interesting, and it, it didn't really go anywhere. It was... Where did this go? And this led to a fight. Oh, the big secret is I'm all the Jedi and you're all the Sith and I win. Went straight Because I have two lightsabers. Went straight to the bank, Mike. That's where it went. But, I uh, just... So, I, Star Wars... I don't, I don't care about Star Wars anymore, you guys. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I don't care. It's good that we're I don't think spend, it's that interesting. It's good that we're going to spend 20 minutes talking about it then. The first three were great and everything else since then hasn't really been that special. So, there it is. So those, of it. those of hey us... Hey, internet! Those of us who like... You know, Star Wars. 
Uh, we're excited for this movie, although I will say Star Wars fans do annoy me. Nothing annoys Star Nobody's worse with Star Wars than Star Wars fans. And as we've talked about before, sort of with Game of Thrones, sometimes I think media gets too big for its own good. There's no way you're going to please everyone. Everyone's going to have something to for say. Sure. Everyone's yeah. going to gripe about something. I'm, I'm totally admitting I might be one of those people. That's fine. I don't mind if anyone else liked it. Good for them. They can like it. So you hated this movie? I didn't hate it. I just thought was there, it was really... Why didn't you like it, specifically? I thought Talk about movie... something specifically. Where do you want to go with this? Okay, let's start off with the whole intro. It's just the scroll, Palpatine li- like lives or whatever. Except the dead speaks. Yeah, the dead speaks. Pa- the voice of Palpatine has been heard. Da, da, da. And it was like, this is a huge plot point. Yeah. And you're just shoving it we into the Vader scroll. We thought Vader killed him. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is a big thing. The emotional reaction of these characters to something like this. Like, can you imagine Leia's face if Palpatine, like, if she suddenly heard his voice or, like, all these other characters or all these other like, Lando, like, how would all these characters suddenly feel if the worst, most terrifying, like, you know, enemy they've ever faced is suddenly around? We don't really get We don't know. It. It's just in the scrawl. He's back. And I understand that with Carrie Fisher's death, they probably had to do what they can to, like, kind of keep her in, you know. It's very clear that film. they had to sort of use her in certain ways. Yeah. You know? It kind of pulls you out of it a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. I almost wish they wouldn't have... I mean, all the Palpatine stuff is in the trailers. I almost wish yeah. they never would have told us. Imagine the impact it's, if he just would have showed up, though. I mean, it, it could have been better. I do agree they just kind of force it in there. There's too much effort in this movie to to tie it to the original trilogy or retcon it or make it fit into this nice, neat box. What is yeah. wrong with having a story that is free of the original? I don't understand. The Harry Potter movies did it, the new ones, and I hated it. The... You know, why do we have... The Hobbit movies tried to do it when they came out to tie it to the original trilogy. Why do we have to do that? Why do we have to force things in there to make it, like, ooh, wink, wink, audience. Like, here comes something new that you're going to get, that you're going to love. I get trying to do fan service, but this movie almost felt like it was a little bit too concerned about what everybody was going to think. yeah, definitely. This movie... Like, you could just feel that Disney heard all the complaints about Last Jedi... And just tried to literally cater to every possible complaint from The Last Jedi, which, you know, you and I have admitted, we didn't care for Last Jedi. But I didn't like, hate it either, though. Yeah, I, I don't think that to kind of try to retcon The Last Jedi's existence in Star Wars, like, is the right thing to do moving forward. Like, And it was so distracting. Mm-hmm. Like, when... You know, at the end of... This movie last... tries to act like that movie didn't happen. Yeah, which it doesn't... Like, I didn't care for that movie, but I don't think that's the right choice either. Like, for example, Ray's and, Ray and Kylo, at the end of the movie, right, they split Luke's lightsaber in half, mm-hmm. right? And then Ray goes off, and the Resistance moves on, and that lightsaber was destroyed in that battle. Nope. I guess not. Ray's just got it in the beginning of Rise of Skywalker, and she's running around training with it. How did she get it? How did, how did the lightsaber that was broken... I don't know. It's just fixed, and she has it again. The split, the symbol, very symbolic split. I must say, I guess that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, Kylo Ren is the one that bothers me the most because it seemed like he was going in a completely different direction yeah. in the second one. Like he was going to be bad, right? And then they completely do a one eighty in this nope. movie, reforging my helmet again. Like, JJ, so JJ Abrams was an executive producer on the Last Jedi. He didn't direct it. Ryan Johnson did. He directed the first one. Do you think if? Abrams was the director on all three. Maybe it would have been a little bit more cohesive of a story. Or since he's involved with the project anyways, does it does it not matter? I think the problem was is that they didn't... And maybe, I could be wrong about this. You know, I didn't sit in Disney executive board meetings. I didn't... You I didn't? don't know. 
But I think the problem was is there wasn't a cohesive plan story in the first place. Mm-hmm. They they just we got Star Wars movies are coming out at these dates. Here we go. Like that is a really unwise way to try to in my I mean I think you should try to set deadlines for yourself. I think deadlines are healthy. But when you're going to tackle something like this, I think just forcing deadlines for the sake of, well, we have the movies, let's make the money, you're not going to create meaningful art. I think and Disney, as Bob, Bob, Bob Iger, the CEO, admitted as much that they may have rushed the Star Wars movies. Yeah. And um, this one is, spe- like, the word that I've heard everyone, everyone say, even the people that liked this movie, everyone agreed on one thing. Yeah, it felt kind of rushed. Like, there was a lot, they packed a lot in there. Just, yeah, I felt like you kind of rushed through a lot of things because the plot was so dense. We have to go here to get this thing. Uh, I've talked to this person. Two, to, like, so oh. we'll start with the, There are You're some like, things I liked about this movie, so I'm going to get to them. But there's the plot. You mentioned it. There's too many MacGuffins driving the plot. And for people that don't Way know, too many. a MacGuffin is an object or device in a movie that triggers the plot, that moves things along. So, for example, we have the Sith Wayfinders to get to Palpatine. We have this Jedi hunter Ochi and his ship and this dagger yeah. inscribed with Sith text. And how do they... This is just an example of this ridiculous plot. How do they find that ship? How do they find the dagger? They fall through the sand. But the reason they fall through that sand is because their little cruiser that they're on crashes in that spot and they land there. Yeah, in the perfect. sand, and then fall through. What if they wouldn't have landed there? What if their cruiser wasn't shot down in that exact spot? It's like, well, that was a lucky break, guys. Here we go. Yep. <laughs> so, too many MacGuffins. Um, you know, Leia gets kind of sidelined, as does Rose, because, well, that's obviously Carrie Fisher's death had something to do with that. Yeah. You can't really blame them for that. They clearly had to kind of sideline them, or someone, to, to make that happen. I've also heard that Rose had more scenes, mm-hmm. but they were cut. But right. either way, like, I don't know what... I heard they said that the... the um, the special effects weren't working in some of her scenes. It didn't look Whatever. believable. I didn't think that was fair to Kelly Marie Tran. Granted, I didn't care for the character of Rose in The Last Jedi Maybe or the either. writing for it, but I don't have any problems with her as a person, and I think the fact that people like aimed their bullying at her and said like racist crap by her is well, like totally I said, stupid. Star Wars is the for. Star Wars fans are the worst. That's this is that's horrible. And and to then like put sideliner like that. I think was kind of an unwise. Well, the movie's overstuffed. Move. We have too many characters. We have new droids. We have old characters. We have C three PO and R two D two does nothing in this movie. Chewbacca's kind of just there. Yeah, but think about how many like, characters are in like Infinity War. Yeah, and how many characters are in like Endgame? And the fact that all of those characters still get better. they get like an emotional connection. There's their story arcs that pay off. Like. What are the real story arcs in this? Like, mm-hmm. Finn goes from being a stormtrooper who's like, oh, this is kind of wrong what we're doing, right away. Like, there's no, like, he he doesn't have this, like, big moment of, oh, he used to love it, and now. Like, he always, Finn always doesn't feel like it's right. He changes and joins the Rebels, or, excuse me, the Resistance. And then, what is his character arc from there? Nothing. Yeah. He's just always... He's kind of there. There's that guy. Yeah, they, they have a great actor, and they've wasted... A story on him. Like, what is his character arc in Rise of Skywalker? Where does Same he thing go? with Poe. He's kind of just a big hothead who kind of comes around a little bit to being a team player, but he's yeah. still kind of a hothead. Ray, I guess you could say, kind of goes through a transition. Ray's got the most. I, I did but... like, so, some things I liked. Because I don't wanna just want to sit here and act like I didn't enjoy anything about this movie. I thought the third act, it, it was pretty good. I kind of liked the ending. I liked, um, I thought it was... Cool. It was drama filled. I liked how they focused on Ray and sort of her internal struggle of good versus bad. Because at its heart, Star Wars is a movie about good versus evil. Yeah, and is is sure. a saga about good versus evil. And I think that the the two tensions and how she sees herself on the throne and is she going to turn bad? We know she's not going to turn bad, but they kind of 
I thought it was cool how it was sort of a personal movie when it came to Ray and to a lesser extent Kylo Ren. Yeah. And while I don't think Kylo Ren's transition to the good side was believable, I understand what they were trying to do, and I at least liked that they focused on the connection between Kylo Ren and Ray. Although, were they hinting that there was going to be like a romantic connection between the two? Because I never felt that at all. I don't know. It's not really very clear. I always thought she was into uh, to Finn. They kind of hint that they have a romantic connection too, and then it's just nothing. They also hinted that Finn was going to have a romantic connection with Rose, and then that never matures into anything. So it's, it's kind of scattered. Yeah, it's very <laughs> scattered. Um, and Ray is definitely the best character to come out of the new trilogy. I really like Ray. Um, I think Daisy really did a good job, too. Um, I love the last scene when she's... I loved when we were hearing all the former Jedi's voices in her head, like Yoda and Qui-Gon and okay. Obi-Wan and Apparently, Mace Windu. Apparently, they actually shot them. Like, they... Uh, I, I guess I've heard this is true. I guess I don't know. But if this shot is them. true, this is a waste. They got like Hayden Christensen in costume, Ewan McGregor in costume, Samuel. They got them all in costume to be Force ghosts. Right, like the end of the or uh, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, and then they just didn't use them. They just had it to be the voices. I did like. like the, I liked how it was mixed, mashed together, though. I thought it was. That would have been better. Would have been better with the ghosts. Yeah, but don't do this. Don't do this thing where it's like, oh, they didn't do it the way I wanted it, so it sucks. I, I, I hate know. when people do that. I it drives me crazy. It's not that I wanted it that way. I was just oh, I heard they did it that way. I'm like, oh, that's cool. But then we decided not to. Well, that would have been cool had you done it the way you did it. But I guess you don't want to do that. There's not enough money, Mike. Yeah, uh, that's right. I thought there were some great scenes in this that I was into. I liked when they were on the speeder thing, the barge in the desert, and they were being chased. I liked when they were running through the Death Star, and they're shooting uh, all yeah, the stormtroopers, cool. yeah. and they're just kind of running. Like I, I thought there was some cool action in yeah, this. Yeah, there's good action. You know, I liked when the... When the uh, when they're riding the horses almost on top of them. Although, yeah. what an absurd plan. Like, what are It we was doing? the first time a bow, <laughs> as far as, I mean, Chewie's uh, crossbow is still like a laser gun, mm -hmm. but this is the first time that I've ever seen like a bow yeah. used in Star Wars. It was very grassroots. It felt like the Dothraki yeah. showed up. Right. And they were like, woo, yeah, we're going to use the Dothraki to take um, down the Empire. You didn't like anything about this movie? I liked Rey. I thought she was good. I, I, I mean, I thought the Knights of Ren were wasted. None of them. I that don't was a cool think, idea. Yeah, the Knights of Ren. Oh, here's this guy. They had this huge emotional connection. They literally murdered all their fellow students and their teacher to follow this guy. They never once say a word to him. They never. They fight with like. They don't even have lightsabers, do they? I don't. They fight. They have with, like random things. They have swords. Yeah. They have like random axes and stuff. Like they're I not, feel like that's uh, how you could sum up this movie. Well, that was a good idea. Too bad we didn't do anything with it. Yeah. It, it feels like a collection of good ideas that weren't formulated together into a cohesive story. The pacing's odd. Characters are wasted. This movie should have been better. Could have been better. Let me ask you something. How did Palpatine come back to life? It's not addressed. We don't know. I guess we're supposed to think that he just has this force power and the force brought him back to life. I don't know, man. I don't know. There are missing gaps. And for a movie that's two and a half hours long, there shouldn't be as many missing gaps as there are. I clearly like this movie more than you did. Um, I gave it a 7 out of 10. I didn't think it was that bad. I was entertained. I felt emotionally connected to some of the characters. I'm glad Chewbacca's still with us. Thank God. Chewbacca should be the emperor of the world. I will say that forever. I wish I could do a Chewbacca. And they, they did a really... I, Chewbacca's death, like, or, excuse me, fake death or whatever, which then they reveal, so there's no real emotional... To the audience before the There's no real emotional, like, you know, impact there. And also, even when the kids... Oh, Chewie just died. 
they just like move right on. Like, well, gotta get to the next thing. Like, they don't even like. There's no stakes anymore. The characters, when they sit down, they don't actually have talks with each other about how they feel. Like Finn, they they talk about plot, plot, plot. But even like Finn, he never tells. Um, he never tells her what he was trying to say to her the whole time. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, there's something I really want to tell you. Something I want to tell you. What is it? Is it he loves her? Is it that he's actually force sensitive and he's like wanting to reveal this to her? What is it? We don't know. The he movie doesn't answer. Trooper it. Lando shows up. He's largely wasted. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't really get a cool moment, honestly. I mean, he comes back. Yay. Why weren't you there the whole time? The, I like the line, like, there are more of us. Don't worry. Yeah, that was There's cool. More of us. I like that. Also... When everyone showed up, it felt like Avengers Assemble moment. Yeah. Like, everyone shows up and it's like, woo! Let's but, go. But, but even team. that line, like, there's more of us is a fine line, but is that why we're winning? Because there's more of us. We're actually the majority. They weren't. They still weren't winning. It's because Palpatine controlled them all until Ray destroyed yeah. him. So they still weren't winning. But Ugh. I felt like it had some emotional impact. I felt like it was a decently, I don't know, a decent way to end it. I liked the third act, but I agree most of the movie is kind of sloppy and there's wasted opportunities here. Maybe I need it, to rewatch it. Because I admit, the first time I saw Endgame... I didn't like it, and the second time I saw it in game, I loved it. I thought it was a masterpiece. I think so you have maybe, to look at maybe it if through. I watch this again, I'll sing a different tune. Sorry if I'm being a, a, a downer on this, guys. Well, my case, Star Wars. So that's I don't hate clear. Star Wars. I love the first original trilogy very, very much, and I think there's good things in all the other ones, but just overall, what group, I don't think So do a quick ranking of the movies and give us a grade for this one. Okay, I would say, if we're doing, like, of the basic... 11 main Star Wars movies that have come out um, that people kind of think of when they think of Star Wars. I would say, um, number one, I think the best movie is Empire Strikes Back. I think the second best movie is New Hope, the original one, which is so groundbreaking and amazing. I think Return of the Jedi is the third best one. Um, after that, I would probably say Force Awakens. They start off really strong. There's a lot of good, likable new characters. The a new action's hope too. great. A new yeah, New Hope? Basically, a New Hope too, essentially. <laughs> um, after that, I'll throw maybe... Eh, it's kind of a tie between Revenge of the Sith and Rogue One. I thought Revenge of the Sith like had some amazing sequences, and it really did like kind of have some emotional impact in some sense. But overall... Uh, oh, you know why? Because I just love that scene where he talks about Darth Plagueis. I think that's like one of my favorite scenes in all the Star Wars movies, is that scene. I like the fight between him and Obi-Wan. Yeah, that's really good, too. And that built well, so I'll put that there. Rogue One was really good, too. Like, that that last fight in Rogue One, the Battle of... Uh, I don't Fantastic. Know, whatever that place is. They're trying, I, yeah, I don't know. Puts the war back in Star Wars. Yeah, it, it like feels like Star Wars does the Alamo. And I was like, this is really great. Yeah. And... Uh, and, Darth Vader and we get to see the suicide mission that we've heard about in New Hope, which is yeah. cool. granted, and the way it ends with Darth Vader. Granted, the characters weren't that interesting, but I didn't, you don't hate it. So I'll put that up there. Like, And then I'll say, after that, I know everyone loves to crap on Jar Jar, and it's a lot of the stupidness of this movie, but whatever. Phantom Menace has, in my opinion, the best lightsaber fight in all of Star Wars. It's got the Darth Maul fight, and it's got pod racing, and it's got, I don't know. I just I liked it as a kid. It's sentimental. I'm not going to, I won't fight you or disagree with you if you're like, that's a terrible choice to be putting in that place, fine. After that, I'll go solo, and then I'll go Attack of the Clones, then Rise of Skywalker, and at the bottom, wow, The Last Jedi. Jeez. Mike hates Star Wars, like I said. Don't okay, hate Star Wars. my ranking is Empire Strikes Back, of course. I loved Rogue One. I put it, I put it second, to, to, even ahead of two of the old ones. A New Hope would be three for me, then Return of the Jedi, then Revenge of the Sith. Then The Force Awakens, then The Rise of Skywalker, then The Last Jedi, Solo, The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones. 
So we've got some similar, our, top, our first and last are both the same. I like Rogue One a little bit more, uh, and I like uh, Revenge of the Sith a little bit more. So what's your grade for, for Rise of Skywalker? C. 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 C, senor. Sounds like you hated it more than that. I don't hate <laughs> Star Wars. I hate bad writing. Okay. We can all agree on that as journalists ourselves. Anyways, that's our review. Like it. Hate it. Blast us with force lightning. You know Chop what? us in half of the if lightsaber. If you like this movie, that's fine. There's a lot of reasons you'd enjoy it. I'm just giving my own opinion about how I feel. Well, that's what I, you're I'm not for. the ultimate emotional center of right and wrongness when it comes to movies. You're not? If you why? Like that's movie, why I invited you. That's fine. Like the movie. Enjoy the movie. I had friends. You mean who we're allowed Star to disagree Wars. on a podcast where we review things from our own perspective? I have movies that I'm like, this is the stupidest like choice for a character to make, and I still love this movie. That's fine. If that's the way you feel about this, fine. Long live Jar Jar. No, oh. I did, no, that's not what I'm saying. Don't <laughs> twist my words. This is another thing about the Star Wars fandom. Let us just say it. It's such a. You know why this fandom gets so annoying sometimes? Because people pick camps with all these things in the camps that aren't there. Like, oh, I like Phantom Menace. Oh, so you love Jar Jar? No. That's, I like this and this in the movie and that. But, like, people just want to lump all things. Oh, I didn't like Last Jedi. Why? Is it because, like, you hate women characters and because you, you know, this? Oh, no. It's because... Or it's the same again. People are like, oh, I love Last Jedi. Oh, you don't care about the writing then. You don't care about this. And you hate... It's like... No, they like it because they thought there was risk that was taken with the movie, and they thought that it showed something new, and they liked, like, they thought the lightsaber fight was up, and that you joining, it was, mm-hmm. people can l- like a movie I don't like for right reasons, and that's fine. Yep, it is fine. I mean, and, it's ever, that's why everyone's allowed to have their own opinions, yeah. and uh, one thing we can all agree on is Star Wars will always be culturally relevant, and it will always be debated. And be uh, nice to each other so when talking about this stuff. Be nice to each other. That's be, what, we'll, be that's nice. What we'll leave you with want. that. We'll leave you. We'll leave you with that. Be nice, like Yoda would want. Yeah, Luke Mike, wouldn't want you to be shitty to each other about reviewing Star Wars movies. And we'll try and keep that message in mind on future episodes of the Second Day Film Podcast. Anyways, that's what we got for you here today uh, on January first. First show of the new year, Mike. Nice work. We'll continue to to unleash some shows here in the future. And our next pod. Coming up, me and Mike are going to unveil our top ten films of the last decade each. Um, We're still working on compiling those lists, so we'll have that for you fairly soon. If people don't hate me after this, they're really going to hate me after that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Rise of Skywalker will clearly be in Mike's top ten. Anyways. No, it won't. Thanks for listening. Like the Facebook page. Listen to our own episodes on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. And until next time, for Brandon Champion, I'm Mike Nichols. You May the force be with you. Did I just say that I was Mike Nichols? I just want if if Can anyone you, from what, Star you're Wars, interrupting my outro. If anyone from Star Wars is listening to this, I still love all of you. Please don't like J.J. Abrams. Like please don't hate me. J.J. Abrams isn't listening to our dumbasses. Okay, we're leaving. <laughs> May the force be with you, and we'll see you at the movies. <laughs>